0: Hello everybody. Today is November 13, 2023, and I'm honored to have with me today is my guest, Jeff Buzen, who's a partner at McGill and Partners, which is a global boutique insurance broker that provides insurance to commercial um, customers. Jeff has been in the business nine years, and I came across Jeff recently, and I thought it would be helpful to have him as a guest on one of my podcasts. Now when Someone purchases a business. One of the key components of the purchase is the representations and warranties that a seller makes regarding the business. The reps and warranties cover a wide range of topics, including the business's uh, ownership, the taxes, the financial statements, and as, as well as their operations. Now, Jeff, why does someone need or why should someone purchase reps and warranties insurance?
1: Yeah, Bob, it's a great question. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. So, Reps and Mar-T's Insurance really started as a way to replace um, a traditional escrow and indemnity that a seller would give to a buyer uh, in the course of a merger, uh, M&A deal, mergers and acquisitions.
0: Let's just take a step back. An escrow is almost like a deposit that, That's right. that is set aside.
1: That's right. So if a, a buyer is going to acquire a business from a seller, rather than the seller getting 100% of the cash at closing, they might tie up 10 or 15% of the purchase price into an escrow account. Uh, and the buyer can access that escrow in case any issues arise after closing occurs. Now, that's the way deals were getting done, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, and that was the standard. However, representations and warranties insurance came on the scene as a solution to really replace the need for that 10 or 15% in escrow. And instead of relying on that, the buyer can bring a claim against their insurance policy rather than against the seller. And so the insurance is really used as a way to substitute from that indemnity obligation. So the seller gets to walk away at closing with 99 or 100% of the the Uh, Purchase price and the buyer still has that same protection that they're looking for in the event of a breach of a rep and warranty.
0: Now, the amount of coverage under the insurance policy is that 10 or 15 percent?
1: Typically, yes. I mean, ultimately, you can get less than that, you can get more than that. It's up to buyers' risk appetite. But because the insurance really came out of a replacement for a seller indemnity. And 10 to 15% was common for seller indemnities. That has continued to be what's most common uh, to insure for under the insurance policy.
0: Okay. So now, what is the process? When someone buys a business, the seller provides representations regarding the assets, if the inventory is usable, if they've complied with all laws, if the employee benefit plans are in shape, environmental issues, if they've disclosed the names of all their Employees and their, um, uh, any contracts that are outstanding. What is the purpose? Uh, and those are just several of the items. Also, that the financial statements are accurate and complete. The stock is validly issued. The tax liabilities are disclosed. So, what are the advantages or what's the process? Not the advantages, but the process of obtaining this policy.
1: Yeah. So, step one is really for the, in prospective insured, and typically under these policies, the buyer is the insured under the policy. So the buyer goes out and reaches out to their insurance broker and brings them up to speed on the transaction, um, shares with them the transaction agreement, any background information on the target that may be available. So the audited financial statements, if there's a confidential information memorandum or other summary of the business, and then the broker takes that, packages it up, uh, and shares it with prospective insurance companies.
0: How many companies yeah. offer this insurance out there in the market?
1: So currently in the U.S., there are 25 to 30 insurance companies that underwrite reps and warranties insurance, and you know they all have different risk appetites depending on deal size, sectors, right? So it's not um, necessarily that you're going to get 30 different quotes back for any given deal, but that's the, the size of the market, and so. The broker will go out to all of those insurance carriers or subset of them and obtain non-binding indications or effectively quotes. And those quotes will say what the insurers are willing to offer in terms of premium, uh, the retention or deductible under the policy, along with any deal specific exclusions that they would require based on the operations of the business. And so that will give the perspective insured the buyer a really good sense of what the financial terms and the under the policy will be, but also what the coverage terms will be. And from there, you know they'll decide on one insurance company saying, "Okay, this is when factoring in coverage, economics, execution capabilities for underwriting, also claims handling is very important." Uh, weighing all those factors, they'll decide on one insurance company that they want to move forward with into the underwriting phase. And the underwriting phase is is really the um, a lot of the substance. And that's where a lot of the heavy lifting occurs. And the insurer and their outside counsel, they want to really understand all of the due diligence that you as the buyer conducted to get comfortable that the seller can actually make those representations and warranties that are going to be given in the transaction agreement.
0: Now, how long does this due diligence process take?
1: Yeah. So surprisingly quick, and it's gotten quicker and quicker over time, um, uh, mostly because the insurer's underwriting process is all derivative of the due diligence that buyer is already conducting.
0: So and they're so, going to piggyback off what the buyer has already done.
1: That's exactly right. And so for that reason, can move very quickly, can be done. Typically, it's about a week, uh, but we've gotten it done. You know, it can be a Over a weekend, if necessary, kind of gets tailored to as quickly as the deal needs to move.
0: Now the buyer or who's ever purchasing the policy, because also the seller to purchase this will pay the underwriting fee, which is in addition to the brokerage fee. I mean, in addition to the premium.
1: Yep. So in addition to the premium, there will be an underwriting fee. And that's gonna that fee is gonna get used for the insurer to appoint outside counsel to assist with their underwriting. That'll range anywhere from thirty-five dollars to $50,000. And so that's an upfront cost that the insured is on the hook for once you start underwriting that phase two. Um, but there's no cost whatsoever at that initial phase where you contact your broker and get those quotes.
0: So the first thing that happens is they give you quotes. That's an indication of interest, say. Exactly. And they say, in order to conduct due diligence, it's going to cost thirty-five dollars to $50,000. It will take 10 days to do. And that's here's right. your invoice for that.
1: Yep, that's right. And then the premium. So then we go through that underwriting phase. We bind coverage when the buyer and seller sign the purchase agreement, and then the premium gets paid at closing. So if it's a simultaneous uh, the the purchase agreement, the deal will sign and close simultaneously. The premium gets paid at closing. Um, or if it's a staggered signing and closing, still. You might bind coverage at signing, but then that premium doesn't get paid until you actually close the deal. Um, and that one-time premium covers you for, for the full life of the policy.
0: And what's the life of the policy?
1: So the policy typically will survive for three years for the general representation. So these are your your business reps, the financial statements, compliance with laws, material contracts And then six years for tax and the fundamental representations.
0: Okay. Uh, Now, can they make it longer or shorter if they want?
1: Yep, absolutely. You know, these are very customizable insurance policies. And so if there's a particular representation that the buyer wants to have a a longer policy period for, or even a higher limit for, right? So a higher cap. they certainly can. It's just you know going to cost some more premium to do so.
0: Okay. And now, when the buy while the buyer is if the buyer is the purchaser of the policy, they're actually paying the premium, but effectively, in a sense, the seller is paying it because it's really coming off what the buyer is willing to pay the seller.
1: Yeah. It, it it like most things, it depends, right? But that is probably the number one question I get asked most frequently is who pays, buyer or seller? It's a really a negotiated point. Um, You know, sometimes they'll agree to split it 50-50. Other times the seller will completely wash their hands of it and say, I'm not paying for it. I'm not contributing to the deductible or the premium. And the buyer has to take that on and may, but they may ultimately, to your point, factor that into the purchase price that they're willing to pay. So it's a heavily negotiated point. There's no kind of right answer necessarily
0: and the deductible you said is about 1% of the purchase price so we'll say on a 50 million dollar deal the deductible would be $500,000 the coverage yep. would be 5 million dollars using 10% and the premium is i don't know 150 to 200,000
1: yeah it'll be a, a per, you know 2 to 3% of that 5 million dollar limit so that that's right and i'd say right now in the current market the Retentions, deductibles are even lower than one percent of the enterprise value. So it's a it's a very um, soft M and A market, which means it's a very soft representations, and warranties, insurance market. So the coverage terms, the economic terms available across most deals are very favorable compared to what they were you know, two or three years ago.
0: As an aside, why is the market so soft? Uh,
1: the M and A market is is soft for various reasons, right? High interest rates, uh, you know, geo- geopolitical concerns, economic concerns, right? A lot of uncertainty in the world right now. And that is not a good, uh, that that's a deal killer, right? Uncertainty. And so that is making people and buyers and sellers a lot more cautious than they were uh, several years ago. And I think, you know, another big dra- drag on the MA market right now is just kind of this disconnect on valuations where sellers want to be paid like it's still, you know, 2021 valuations and the public comps and, you know, other valuation methodologies that buyers are using just don't support that. And so you, you see this disconnect between what buyers are willing to pay and what sellers are uh, looking for when they're looking to sell their businesses.
0: Right now, these policies, and, and, and I guess it could change almost in a moment if you know as the world changes, but these policies generally exclude like working capital and price adjustments. What else do they typically exclude?
1: Yeah, so the big one is the big standard exclusion are for matters that are known to the insured, right? And so if you know that there's a breach of a representation, you can't get coverage for that. So they can't
0: sandbag the seller?
1: You can't sandbag the insurance company.
0: Okay. You're well, going to have to
1: give, the buyer will have to give a representation that says they do not have actual knowledge of a breach as of signing and as of closing. Uh, but you know, to the point of it being a buyer favorable rep and warranty market right now, the definition of actual knowledge is very narrowly defined such that it would be very difficult for the, insurance company to prove that a buyer actually had actual knowledge of a breach.
0: Now, are there issues with these policies getting claims paid if a claim is made?
1: So these are insurance companies at the end of the day, uh, right? They're not just going to h- hand over millions of dollars be- because you ask for it. But in my experience, in speaking with lawyers and other deal practitioners that have brought claims against both sellers and against insurance companies, it's generally easier and more commercial to bring a claim against an insurer who's in the business of paying claims, has a reputation that they need to uphold. So it's a lot easier to recover against them than it would be from a seller that, um, you know, maybe off riding on their yacht somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, They don't really have an incentive to cut a deal and, um, you know, give pay pay buyer back um, if there's a breach of a rep.
0: Well, let's go back to my example. It's a 50 million dollar deal. There's a five hundred thousand dollar retention and there's a claim, say, of three million dollars. So in this situation, the insurer would be liable for three million less five hundred thousand or two and a half million dollars they still may have to go after the buyer or the seller for that other 500,000.
1: Yep. Depending on how the deal is structured, the buyer may have a ability to recover for that first $500,000 from the seller. And then anything in excess of that, they'd be able to recover from the insurer.
0: Now, is that $500,000 set aside in an escrow usually?
1: Increasingly not, I would say. Um, It ultimately will depend on the identity of the seller, you know, if they're kind of a credit worthy party on the other side that buyer expects to be able to pursue. Um, so there's no one size fits all, but I think in the current M&A market, sellers are very focused on and have been successful in getting, you know, these walk away deals where they have very limited post-closing liability and post-closing escrows.
0: Okay. Now, in terms of the premiums, we we spoke before that you mentioned that the minimum premium is frequently about 150 thousand, maybe 125 thousand. That's right 35 or fifty thousand dollar underwriting fee. and you said on top of that, the broker may charge a fee of up to 75 basis points of the amount of the insured uh, of the loss that's insured, the potential loss that's insured at what level do you typically see these policies being purchased or what sort of deal level do you start seeing them being purchased?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the general rule of thumb is $50 million and up. Okay. When you get below that, coverage is still going to be available and it's still a viable solution depending on the deal, but the economics just start to get skewed a little bit. Right. And so- instead of a premium that is 3% of the limit. So if you get a 10% of enterprise value limit, we're talking about 30 basis points of the deal size.
0: Or 0.3%.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, For a smaller deal because of those minimum premium levels and those fixed fees we're talking about, right? We might be talking about 100 basis points or 1% of the deal size which is significantly higher than, you know, a commercially reasonable buyer would obtain on a larger deal. And so depending on the deal dynamics, it still may make sense for the buyer and seller on a smaller deal to agree. Yep. Let's, let's set aside this $150,000 and pay the premium and, and get an insurance policy and the seller can still walk away clean. But I understand the reservation from parties working on those smaller deals to, you know, committing that large percentage of the deal size to insurance.
0: And one other item to keep in mind is that I always keep thinking that if it's a small deal, say it's a $10 million deal, and the cost of the premium plus the underwriting fee is $200,000, that represents 2% of the sale price. But without that, that deal may not go through. So I think that everyone should consider.
1: Definitely. I mean, I think that is one of the hidden more discrete benefits to representations and warranties insurance is that this can really help get deals done. It's going to make the negotiation process between buyer and seller a lot smoother because the wording of the reps and warranties and the indemnification sections of purchase agreements, those are some of the most heavily negotiated, most contentious negotiations um, in any M&A transaction. And you're taking a lot of that those issues off the table and effectively shifting the risk to an independent third party that is in the business of writing these insurance policies.
0: Now, from the seller's point of view, the advantage of this policy, it, it, it reduces their obligation to indemnify. It uh, eliminates or reduces the need for an escrow. It It's easier... For it makes the sale easier for the seller and it's easier to provide the reps. And from the buyer's point of view, it's easier for them to make an offer. It, it extends the terms of reps and warranties and it increases their protection, as you say, from to someone who knows how to write checks and knows how to handle these things in a professional manner.
1: Exactly. And I, you know, one other point I would add to that, which can benefit buyers and sellers alike is if the management team is going to be staying with the business after closing a buyer doesn't want to be in that awkward situation where now they're bringing a claim against their key employee right and so again you're taking a lot of the emotion out of it and some of these potential conflicts by being able to bring a claim against an insurance company instead of a seller who now oh by the way might be you know the ceo of or president of your subsidiary
0: all right. That's interesting about this. So it makes it much easier to be able to walk away. Um, Now, let's assume at the last minute, you know, people are negotiating and the deal falls apart at the last minute, mm-hmm. literally getting ready to sign and they can't come to that last item. The only thing that's owed is the underwriting fee, but there's no premium that's owed, correct?
1: Correct. Correct. So you'd be on the hook for that underwriting fee. And that's it. If Let's take it one step further. Let's say you actually sign the deal, and it doesn't close for whatever reason. You know, if you can't get regulatory approval or you can't get the financing that you need, and the deal falls apart, um, and the parties agree to walk away. In that case, in addition to the underwriting fee, typically the buyer would be on the hook for ten percent of the premium, since the insured's bind bound the insurer was on risk as of signing, then when the deal doesn't, when the deal doesn't close, they're not expecting to receive the full 100% of their premium, but they will want 10% of the premium as a break fee effectively.
0: So if the premium is 150,000, they'd owe them another 15,000. Exactly. Okay. Now, this is great. Now there's just two other types of policies. The reps and warranties is like for unknown risks. Yep. But there's also policies that you offer for known risks. Can you just describe them very briefly?
1: Yeah. So very quickly, um the two other types of insurance that are in you know within my practice, which are designed to cover known I- issues, are called tax insurance and contingent risk insurance. And effectively you're insuring getting fire insurance after the building's already on fire, so to speak. So it could, it's designed to cover known issues and ring fence them. And so it can be for pending litigation or contract claim. It can be for uh, tax dispute, right? Um, whether it's a sales tax position that's already under audit, or there's a difference of opinion between buyer and seller on what a potential tax liability could be. Um, Effectively, it's a way to shift that risk from the deal parties, again, to the insurance market.
0: Okay. Now, this has been extremely informative and interesting. Is there anything else that you want to add?
1: No, I mean, the only thing I would add is, you know, a couple points I touched on earlier, right? It's a good time to be a buyer of insurance, given how um, slow the MA market is, right? Insurers are willing to get creative and um, come up with ins- insurance solutions that ultimately help get deals done. And so there's no cost to speaking with a broker and um, bouncing off kind of weird s- transaction structures, weird deals, weird known issues, and seeing if there's an insurance solution out there that can help get the deal done at the end of the day.
0: Now, you've been doing this for nine years. You're at McGill and Partners, or not, is it McGill Partners? McGill and Partners. McGill and Partners. Can you, if someone calls you about a potential deal, can you give them some insight almost initially whether they'll get coverage in the range of the premium? Yeah,
1: I, absolutely. And I'm always happy to do so. I mean, you know, I've kind of been in the this insurance market for the whole time that it's kind of been an insurance market. It, you know, the industry really started to take off, you know, in the, the mid 2010s. Um, and now, you know, in the past five, six years, especially has become ubiquitous with M&A. And so I've seen, you know, all types of deals, I've probably worked on over a 1000 deals in my career. And so I can give a lot uh, back of the envelope estimate on what pricing will look like, what coverage will look like on, on any deal that you throw at me.
0: And one other item that I've neglected to bring up is that you told me this reps and warranties insurance could also cover someone for employee misclassifications, where they're listing someone as an independent contractor, where they should have been employee, as well as environmental risks.
1: Yep, that's right. I mean, it's it's the full gambit of the reps and warranties. And so that covers compliance with laws, it covers uh, cyber issues, intellectual property disputes, employee employment classification disputes, uh, to your point, Bob. And so it is a very broad, and in addition to third-party claims, it also covers first-party claims. And so the to me, the, where we see the biggest claims, it's always around inaccuracies in the financial statements because that is underpins how buyer valued the company. And so in a lot of ways, reps and warranties insurance is a broader insurance policy than any other type of insurance that's out there.
0: All right. Well, Jeff, you've been extremely helpful and very gracious with your time and your knowledge. I just want to thank you for your help. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Bob. It's been great to
0: be on. Hello, this is Bob Chalfin. The second edition of my book, A Practical Guide to Buying a Business, is now available. This book, along with my book, A Practical Guide to Selling a Business, can be purchased on Amazon. All proceeds received from the sale of my books are donated to nonprofit organizations.